It's easy to see the comparisons between Gonzaga forward Julian Strother and his predecessor, Corey Kispert, which begs the question, will he return for his senior season or head to the NBA? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, it is Christmas season. Happy holidays to everybody out there listening. We are going to talk about our Christmas wish list for the Zags in the second segment and close out the show with some thanks and appreciation to all of you and everybody who has kind of helped make Locked On Zags what it is. Hence, for those watching on YouTube, the fun Gonzaga Christmas hat that we are rocking today as we close out the month and the holiday season. But we want to start out the show talking about Julian Strother. It was a mailbag question that was proposed to me. Many of you know that... We haven't been doing mailbag as consistently this year, in part because Gonzaga has had a lot of Friday and Saturday games, and we want to get some coverage of those games. And also, they've had a lot of Monday games, so we want to preview the Monday night games. We are going to bring mailbag back eventually as we get into conference play and the schedule kind of stabilizes a little bit. But one of the questions was about Julian Strother and kind of whether we think still feel confident about him leaving after this year to go to the NBA draft. And and it's a totally reasonable question. He's had a bit of an inconsistent season so far. Uh, we've seen, obviously, we know that he was sick. He had a, a couple of games where he was dealing with the flu. And I think those performances have kind of, we can look at them a bit more separate now that we saw what he did against Montana, 38 minutes in that game, 15 points, 10 rebounds, I believe four of five shooting in that contest. So clearly Julian is not long-term impacted by the flu. He struggled in that Northern Illinois game, but ultimately I think that he is, he's back to being himself, but really the, the interesting part about Julian and these comparisons are going to forever follow him. And it's a bit unfair in some ways, but he's a lot like Corey Kispert guys who came in as, not super heralded prospects. Julian was a higher regarded prospect out of high school than Corey was. Uh, but guys who are similar size, 6'7", 225-ish pounds. They both traditionally play the small forward position, but have played that small ball four role in the past. Kispert, of course, adjusted to that role at midseason uh, during the 2020-2021 season after the Zags began the season with Anton Watson starting at the four. He eventually transitioned to the bench. Andrew Nembhard stepped into the starting lineup and Kispert kind of shifted over to playing that small ball four role we expect to see a little bit more of that this year mark few talked before the season that hey you know julian's going to kind of do that same thing i think the main reason it hasn't happened quite honestly is just anton watson's really really good and watson has 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 uh, been more of a playmaker more of an offensive weapon he's he's still not a great outside shooter but he's more willing to shoot threes can stretch the defense a little bit and can make entry passes to Drew Timmy, can score off the dribble, uh, can get out and transition. Of course, he's an excellent, outstanding defensive player. So Watson has earned more minutes. Ben Gregg has earned more minutes as a backup for, uh, he was a little, you know, wasn't earning those minutes early in the year, but has really stepped up in a big way and, and hit a really critical shot against Montana in that game, scored 18 points against Northern Illinois, like has stepped into a role where it's clear that Ben needs to play minutes every single night and not just like a few minutes he needs to play legitimate minutes every single night so that has kind of 
created a circumstance where Julian is a playing a bit more three as opposed to playing more of that small ball four role. Gonzaga has also gotten a little bit of inconsistency from some of their other guards, uh, namely Rasir Bolton. Malachi Smith has looked much better lately, but was inconsistent early in the year. Hunter Salas has, of course, come around and started to be a really big-time contributor for this team as well. So it'll kind of be interesting to see if we do see Julian step more into that small ball four role. Uh, but ultimately, I really kind of want to just compare these two players and kind of take a look at what a potential – NBA future might look like for Julian. So right now we are 13 games into Julian's junior year. So what I did is I took a look at the first 13 games of Corey Kispert's junior year to do some comparisons. And the comparisons are pretty comp are, are what you would expect. There are some skills that Julian is clearly better at, more efficient at than Corey Kispert. There are some skills that Corey was a, a better player at. And you can just kind of it bears out in the numbers pretty clearly here. So far this season, Julian Strother through 13 games is averaging 13.2 points. He's averaging 7.9 rebounds. He's averaging 0.7 assists and 0.8 steals per game. This is while shooting 48.5% on two-pointers, 41% on three-pointers, and 82% from the free throw line. Comparing that to Corey Kispert, and of course this caveat is, is very important when you're looking at early season numbers, when you're looking at small sample sizes, the quality of opponent for Julian Strother is better. Now, this Corey played some good teams. He played Oregon, he played Michigan, he played North Carolina. All three of those games were within the first 13 games of Corey's junior season, so it's not like he was only playing gimme games. I want to make that clear. Uh, but still, uh, Julian has played a more difficult schedule through these 13 games. However, Kispert's numbers, 15 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 0.6 steals. Kispert was just under 65% on two-point shots. He was just under 44% on three and about 79% from the free throw line. So Kispert, slightly more points per game, although the difference between those two is fairly negligible, especially when you consider the opponent quality. Strother doubled up on rebounds, a significantly better rebounder. And that, that to me is the biggest skill that Julian possesses that Corey didn't really have. Corey's not, wasn't a bad rebounder. He wasn't really asked to be a significant rebounder during his junior season. He was tasked with being more of a rebounder his senior year when he was playing more of the small ball four role. And he, that was a skill that he improved. He got better as a rebounder. Strother's already there. Then the other key is the, the assists. Neither of these guys are great facilitators. They weren't really asked to be guys who, who got a lot of assists. But Julian Strother is Gonzaga's second best player, should be the guy with the ball in his hands for the second most often outside of Drew Timmy. And he's not creating. He's not facilitating. Less than an assist per game through 13 games is a bit concerning. If we're being totally honest, Strother should probably have more assists uh, on a game-by-game -game basis than what he's doing. I, I don't think that it's a, a significant issue. I don't think NBA scouts are like, well, you know, his assist numbers are low, so therefore, <laughs> you know, he's, he's not going to be an NBA player. That's not necessarily a skill they're looking for, but if, if Julian's primary weapon is going to be as an offensive player, you want to see that he's more than just a shooter. And right now, we're seeing the rebounding, which is probably not a skill that translates incredibly well to the NBA. It will translate to an extent uh, at the next level, but it's not a, a huge driving factor. Whereas facilitation, distribution, uh, the ability to find open teammates, to drive and dish, that kind of stuff. We haven't really seen that from him. Corey wasn't excellent at this either, and it was a knock on him coming out of the NBA draft. For Julian to be not at even that level at this point is something that will probably need to change for him to get legitimate, at least be in the conversation as like a first round pick or like where he wants to go in the NBA draft. And then the big thing, one of the biggest changes we've seen from Julian, a, a pretty surprising development, is the 
significant drop in his percentage on two-pointers. Last year, as a sophomore, Julian shot 66%, almost on the dot, 66% from two. So two-thirds of his field goal attempts that weren't three-pointers were going in the hoop. This year, he's below 50%. That is a shocking drop. Again, I know that we make this caveat a lot, but it is important distinction here. Julian is playing really, really tough opponents early in the year. However, the inconsistency from Julian is absolutely there. Uh, we need to see some more consistency as we get into conference play. To be clear, Julian Strother still has an NBA future. There is not a shred of a doubt in my mind that Julian Strother will be an NBA player, and he will probably be a rotation NBA player, a pretty good rotation NBA player. But I'm not nearly as confident that he is gone after this year. Again, same conversations we have with Corey throughout the year was kind of like, oh, he's going to probably going to be done after this year. He's averaging 14 points per game. A junior, really, really good basketball team that 1920 season. He's not coming back. And then, of course, part of Corey's decision was not getting to play in the NCAA tournament. And they moved the draft back and all that weird stuff happened because of COVID uh, that you know, keep your fingers crossed isn't something that Julian has to deal with, obviously, uh, for this season. But you see Corey come back, you see him average 19 points per game, you see him up his performance in basically every single way and become the 15th overall pick in the draft. It's hard not to imagine, hey, Julian could kind of do that same thing. Assuming that Drew Timmy leaves, and that is an assumption, it is not a guarantee. Drew, Drew Timmy has the ability to come back for a fifth year at Gonzaga if he so chooses. He does not have the ability to declare for the NBA draft and go through the draft process without coming back. If he does that, he has to leave. It's the same thing that Andrew Nemhard ran into last year. You cannot declare three times for the NBA draft without foregoing your eligibility. So I don't think Drew's coming back because I think he's going to at least go through the process, which eliminates his eligibility. So if Drew's gone, Malachi Smith's gone, Rasir Bolton is gone, Anton Watson probably gone, not necessarily gone. Uh, he would have a fifth year, a uh, COVID year as well to use for eligibility, but that's still a lot of talent left. There's a real possibility, a very, very real possibility that Julian Strother is the number one option on Gonzaga's 2022-23 team a team that likely features Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, assuming they don't leave for the NBA. Uh, it would likely feature Ben Gregg and Efton Reed. It will almost certainly feature at least one, probably two transfer portal additions. We know that Mark Few is very aggressive on the transfer portal. It will also feature Dusty Stromer and Alex Tui, two freshmen coming in who are expected to be contributors right away, although how much of contributors they are is hard to say. You, of course, have Braden Huff, Caden Perry, Dominic Harris, all potentially in the mix as well. I think Julian Strother might seriously, seriously consider coming back, being the number one option or perhaps the number two option, depending on transfer portal additions, uh, and kind of be a guy who ascends into the mid first round uh, as as a senior. And so, yeah, so your comparisons to Corey Kisper are pretty legitimate there. Again, uh, it's hard to say now. We haven't even gotten a conference play yet. How he performs in March is going to say a lot about what his NBA draft profile ultimately ends up looking like, but. I'm starting to see that this trajectory kind of is starting to look really, really similar. And we could end up finding ourselves in a situation where Julian Strother is one of, if not the best player on Gonzaga's roster next year, as opposed to being another guy who leaves after this season to go to the NBA. All right, today is the final episode of the Locked On Zags podcast before Christmas. So we are submitting our Gonzaga wish list to Santa, including some scheduling things that I would love to see Mark Few's program do. Before we do that, though, today's episode is brought to you by the NHTSA. If you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks, a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you start thinking of calling for a ride. Now, nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's not a big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. 
However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one minute to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank all of you sincerely for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, it is the holiday season again. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody listening, all of the Locked on Zags group. I appreciate every single one of you. We'll talk more about that in the final segment. But here I want to submit a wish list to Santa, uh, five things that I'd like to see uh, kind of the Zags do in the future. I, I kind of wanted to stay away from this being just five ways to criticize Gonzaga players because I didn't think that that was particularly fun or in the spirit of what we're doing here on the holiday season. So instead, we're kind of just talking about mostly scheduling things, but also just other things that I would like to see the Gonzaga basketball program do in the future. Uh, The top one is something I've talked about multiple times on this podcast already, more true home and home series. And I know that this is not something that Gonzaga just, it's something that Gonzaga wants as well. It's something that Mark Few wants as well, but it's not easy to get programs to agree to these. And I think that that's what I want to see that dynamic start to change, start to shift. I want to see more coaches be willing to go play true road games at the kennel. And we, we've we seen, obviously, the, the big conversation this year was the Kentucky series. And ultimately, Kentucky and Gonzaga will end up playing true home and true road games. Gonzaga is going to play at Rupp Arena twice. And Kentucky is going to play at the kennel once. But that's all right. It is still a home and home series. Uh, and they have some – and I, I've also advocated I don't mind – the pseudo home and home series, like the series with Alabama where they played in Seattle and Birmingham. I really liked that. And of course it was fantastic that Alabama got a piece of Gonzaga at the climate pledge arena and Gonzaga got them back in Birmingham. That's awesome. That creates a rivalry. It creates like animosity from the fan bases. Uh, it, it, there are two excellent games of basketball. Like that kind of stuff is awesome. I would love to re up that series, but let's bring it home. Nate Oates seems like the kind of guy who's willing to play at the kennel. Play at the kennel. We'll go play at Alabama's home arena. It's going to be a ruckus crowd at both places. I would love that. I would love that. Kentucky is a great start. Gonzaga has done this with North Carolina. They did it with Texas. That was awesome. Awesome that they got to have that series with the Texas Longhorns. And again, same thing. Gonzaga clipped them pretty good in the first game, and then Gonzaga got clipped real bad in the second game. True road games are very, very hard. Gonzaga doesn't play enough true road games. It is, a, it is a fact. And as much as I'm a strong advocate for the WCC and will remain a strong advocate for the WCC, Gonzaga doesn't play enough t- tough, true road games. And I think it impacts them when they get into March. I want to see more of them. I want to see them go play at the Moody Center. I don't want to see them get blown out at the Moody Center like they did this year against Texas, but I want to see them play that game. I want to see them play at Rupp. I want to see them play true, challenging road games. And I hope that they can find some teams who are willing to do it. North Carolina has done it in the past. Will Hubert Davis and the, and the Tar Heels be willing to do that again? Could they convince John Shire, a new coach at Duke, would he be willing to do it? Krzyzewski wasn't, but maybe Shire will be willing to do so. It's clear that Gonzaga is hesitant to play Arizona right now because of the freshness of Tommy Lloyd's departure, but maybe that's a series they can bring back. Gonzaga, Arizona, play home and homes, true home and homes there. I think that would be a fantastic matchup for the Zags. Obviously, very, very fun team there. Could they get Houston? Could they get 
I mean, pick pick any team that, that could potentially play a true home and home that would be willing to do so. I think there's some fantastic opportunities out there, and I want to see Gonzaga try to find those games as best they can. Next up, sticking with the, the uh, scheduling kind of conversation for our Christmas wish list here, uh, I want to see Gonzaga get challenged more from non-St. Mary's teams in the WCC. And, and we've seen it in the past. Obviously, BYU has been a, a thorn in Gonzaga's side for many years. They are, of course, in their final season in the WCC. And while they've played some, some surprisingly very good games, they beat up on a Creighton team. They've beat up on some other very good teams. They've also played some, some pretty crappy basketball this year, too. They're one of the most polarizing and, and, frankly, confusing teams in the WCC. It's never easy to win uh, on the road at the Marriott Center in BYU, so that's going to be a tough one. But I want to see more true, tough road environments for the Zags in conference play. San Francisco is going to be good. In case you missed this game, San Francisco just boat raced Arizona State. Arizona State snuck into the top 25. They deserved it. They were 10-1 and going into that game. They had a win over Creighton, a team I talked about on the Locked On College Basketball podcast. is like, hey, this is a team to really pay attention to. And then USF went in and smacked them smack that was 16 to 2 at one point i think it was like 30 to 3 or something like that at one point ultimately they won by they were up by 45 at one point in the second half ended up winning by 37 it was a full-on smackdown by usf against arizona state gonzaga's better than arizona state but that's still the kind of result that makes you makes your eyes raise a little bit usf could do that to gonzaga maybe not that dramatically but i want to see some competition I want to see them play them really, really tough. Portland hasn't has fallen a bit since their 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 epic run in the PK Invitational, their game against Michigan State, or their win against Michigan State, their near loss to excuse me, they lost to Michigan State, they lost to North Carolina. Both those games were very close. Ultimately ended up defeating Villanova. Uh, they haven't played as well since then. I'm not sure if they'll be as big of a competition. But I, again, I want to see those teams step up and really give Gonzaga some run. I know it's going to cause some heart attacks among the fan base because Gonzaga hasn't really put a lot of teams away this year. But ultimately playing tough, grinded out games throughout the season probably helps this team be better in March. And that's the main thing that I want to see. And then, of course, I've talked about this on the podcast before as well, and it's something I'd love to bring back while we're still on the scheduling topic, midseason non-conference games. If Gonzaga, not if, when Gonzaga loses BYU as a conference opponent, assuming Gonzaga remains in the WCC, which is obviously something that is not guaranteed, but they're not moving anytime super soon, even if an announcement comes out that they're planning to go Big 12, Big East, whatever, uh, it's probably a couple of years down the line. But these midseason games were a great way for Gonzaga to tune up against a tough opponent, really get the crowd back and energized, uh, you know, after playing Pacific and Pepperdine and some of those teams for a few weeks in a row. It's nice to be able to play like Memphis. This is what they used to do when Coach Cal was the coach at Memphis. I want to see more teams like that, more games like that. Teams that are willing to do that are going to be teams that are in mid-major conferences. Big 12 schools aren't going to do this. Big East schools aren't going to do this. Big 10, SEC, and then they shouldn't. I mean, I, I don't blame them for not doing this. I don't think we can get mad that Baylor doesn't want to come play us in February in the middle of their Big 12 gauntlet. But like... Memphis is a good example. Maybe maybe we talk to Penny. Maybe we see if we can get that game back. I'd love I would wish we could have done it with Houston. Houston of course is about to move to the Big 12, so they're not going to be interested in this long term, but what a game that would have been to to mix up the schedule with a random game against Houston, maybe a, a neutral site game. Oh, that would have been awesome. It's unfortunate that that's not going to work, but there are still other great teams that could do this. Again, Memphis, we already mentioned them. Dayton, they've fallen down a little bit this year, but Gonzaga and Dayton have had a history before they've played each other uh, in the past. St. Louis Another good team, the Billikens, nearly beat Auburn earlier this year. They've been a little inconsistent, but a good quality mid-major team. Not elite, 
necessarily, like not better than St. Mary's, for example, but like a good quality non-conference opponent. Uh, Iona, always fun to play Rick Pitino. I think that'd be a blast. I would love to play Rick Pitino in February. Like that's fantastic. I I wish Gonzaga could find a way to make a game like that happen. UAB is another one. There's tons of great mid-major programs out there that might be willing to come out to Spokane or at least play at a neutral site uh, on one of Gonzaga's off weeks uh, in the WCC and kind of get a chance to to reinvigorate the midseason non-conference bout. Last couple, this is the only non-scheduling one, health for Zags in the NBA. Chet Holmgren, obviously the big one here, missing the entire season with a list Frank injury in his foot, uh, suffered during a uh, exhibition-type game uh, during the offseason. Really unfortunate to see that happen uh, in the Pro-Am event. Uh, he's going to be out for the rest of the year, so we're not hoping that he comes back any sooner than that necessarily, but hope that he can get fully healthy and get back 100% starting uh, in his second season, his, his second rookie season, I should say. Uh, Zach Collins has been dealing with injuries just forever. He's been playing so great with the San Antonio Spurs, and I just really, really, fingers crossed, you know, dear Santa, please keep Zach Collins healthy because he deserves an opportunity to play five, six, seven eight more seasons in the NBA without dealing with a bunch of injuries because he, he's a very good player. And we just haven't really gotten to experience the Zach Collins uh, talent level for a very long period of time. Of course, Jalen Suggs battled a lot of injuries last year as a rookie uh, has, has had some injuries already this year has been generally healthy though. But again, uh, you, you hate to see guys kind of get that injury prone label. And I hope that Suggs can, can remain healthy. This of course goes for you know, Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert dealt with an injury early in the year. Uh, Kelly Olenek dealt with a big injury last year. The Zags have had some have had some health issues in the NBA, and I just hope that uh, this is a program that has put you know double digit guys in the NBA now. And I really hope that they can continue to stay healthy and and, and prove to the world how good Gonzaga players can be at the next level. Finally, last wish wish list item for me today: uh, more regional non conference games. Again, we're back to scheduling. Uh, I've talked about this on the podcast a handful of times already. And, and in light of the Montana game, I think that's kind of why I wanted to highlight it. It was fun to play Montana, and it was not fun to see Montana crawl back and get within five, but a regional team coming to Spokane, that's the Mecca of college basketball in the Inland Northwest. Not close. It is the place to play and other teams nearby should get opportunities to play. I've said on the podcast before, I don't dislike Gonzaga doing games against SWAC teams. I don't dislike the, the Texas Southern, the Alcorn State, tar, you know, those kind of programs. I think it's cool that they do that. And the buy games, they give those programs some much needed money and they can kind of help upgrade their facilities, get more talent in the program. Like, I think it's a good thing. But I think that filling out the non-conference schedule with as many regional, regional teams as possible is more preferred. Gonzaga should play Eastern Washington every single year. They should play some combination of Montana, Montana State, Idaho, Idaho State. One, at least one of those teams, maybe two of those teams every single year. I've advocated strongly for bringing back the Washington State series. Kyle Smith is a, you know, a foe of Mark Fuse. He coached at San Francisco for a long time. I think that that series should be back on the docket. And I'm kind of sad and a little frustrated with Gonzaga, quite honestly, that that series hasn't been re-upped going forward. I've mentioned Seattle U. Of course, I'm also an alma mater. Uh, Seattle U is one of my other alma maters as my, where I got my graduate degree. So I'm always an advocate for getting that game on the calendar. I spoke to Chris Victor on a podcast, the head coach at Seattle U on an episode of Locked On College Basketball recently. Didn't mention Gonzaga specifically, but I can tell you, he talked about how hard it is to schedule as a mid-major team. And I can guarantee you they would be more than happy to come to to Gonzaga and play them there uh, if given the opportunity. All right, we're going to close out the show with some thanks and some appreciation as we head into the holiday weekend. It's Christmas time. We're feeling the love. And I kind of want to share with you some of my thoughts and feelings uh, as we get towards the end of the year.
right, segment three story. The patent is still locked on Zags. And we really just kind of want to end the show with it. I've talked kind of about my history and, and how I kind of got into this position a little bit, but I, I, I wouldn't be here talking to you, getting these opportunities without so much help and appreciation from so many other people. So yeah, I grew up a Blazers fan. I didn't grow up a Gonzaga fan. I grew up in the Portland area where I live currently and grew up a huge Blazers fan, huge baseball fan, mostly a passionate Detroit Tigers fan, passionate Seattle Mariners fan as well. Uh, just loved baseball, loved basketball, loved the Portland Trailblazers. Didn't really have a, a college basketball team growing up. And then I went to Gonzaga. I started at Gonzaga in 2009 and just fell in love. Just fell in love immediately. Uh, I'll never forget laying in my dorm room at nine in the morning as a true freshman watching Gonzaga get absolutely smacked by Syracuse. And their zone offense was just cruising. And Wesley Johnson and Andy Routens hit three after three after three. That was when Gonzaga was a number nine seed, losing to a number one seeded Syracuse team uh, under Coach Beheim, of course. And I fell in love. I wanted to continue to support this team, to love this team. I, I knew that there was there was going to be pain. There was going to be loss. You know, at that time they were an eight seed, nine seed. The next year, I think they were a six. They were, I think they were an 11 seed. The year after that, they were a seven seed at one point. Then of course, my senior year, 2012, 2013, the Kelly Olynyk year, Kevin Pangos, Gary Bell, Mike Hart, Elias Harris, Sam Dower, just a, a, a tremendously fun, exciting, thrilling basketball team that won so many games. I was on the kennel club that year. I was leading the cheers. I was screaming at Brandon Paul during the Illinois game, uh, screaming at Bob Huggins when Gonzaga dismantled West Virginia in the non-conference slate. Watched devastated from my TV when David Stockton passed the ball to Roosevelt Jones and Roosevelt Jones hit that game winner for Butler. And of course, devastated in the NCAA tournament when the number one seed for the first time in program history when they fell to Wichita State, Clay Anthony Early, Fred Van Vliet, that incredible, incredible Shockers team that, that really dismantled Gonzaga and kind of unfortunately set the program's reputation as, as a team that falls early in March, set them back a long time. They have since kind of curbed that, that reputation for most people. Some people still hold on to it, but what are you going to do about that? But uh, for me, that kind of cemented a lifelong love of the Zags and uh, as somebody who has, has kind of been pretty transient in my career as a sports media personality, I've covered the Seahawks, I've, I've covered the USC Trojans, covered the Oregon Ducks, uh, wrote about fantasy baseball, wrote about fantasy football. Like I, I've done a whole bunch of different things and never really settled and always kind of got a little itchy, got a little anxious, wanted to move on. And the only thing that I've consistently wanted to do is talk about the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And so I started Score Zag Score, my initial podcast in 2018, and I did not get here at Locked On without a dedicated group of listeners who started listening to the podcast when I was a nobody. I was just a dude with a podcast. I had my one of my close friends make a logo for me, which I love, still love to this day. Shout out Caleb Janowski for that logo. Shout out David Sackman, who made the music that I still use to this day on the Locked On Zags podcast that started on Score Zag Score. But shout out to everybody who listened at the time. Of course, a huge thank you to David Locke, Zach Blackerby, who's my my manager for the Locked On College channel. He's the host of Locked On Auburn as well. Uh, shout out to him for, for managing me, for leading me. Shout out to David Locke, the creator of Locked On in the first place, this tremendous place to work. Uh, shout out to Stephen Carr, who, who, of course, was the initial host of Locked On Zags, who helped kind of pass the buck to me, uh, said, hey, I think you'd be fantastic for this. Uh, and I had previously worked at Locked On. I actually was the first host of Locked On Mariners. Fun little trivia fact for those of you who listen to both shows. Uh, I only hosted it for about six weeks. 
weeks before I gave up because it was too hard and I wanted to podcast about the Zags. And here we come full circle. Now I get to podcast about the Zags here on Locked On Zags. Of course, being given the opportunity to host Locked On College Basketball with my co-host and close friend Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels has been incredible as well. It's so fun to get to do that, to, to be in this position where I'm podcasting about the sport that I love, podcasting about the team that I love, uh, getting to be on TV, getting to to have to go to games to cover the sport professionally. I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, so I apologize if it comes off like that, but it's a tremendous honor, truly. And as much as I can thank the people who have helped get me there, I have to thank you. Every single person who listens to the show, whether this is your first time listening, 200th time listening, somewhere in between for many of you, whether you are critical of the show, whether you love the show, uh, you know, anything like that, I, I tremendously appreciate whether you ask mailbag questions, comment on YouTube, respond on Twitter, whether you don't do any of that at all and you just listen, it doesn't matter. I sincerely appreciate it. I want to give thanks to some other people who have really helped share their time with me, been willing to come on the podcast, be guests, be mentors, uh, Brenna Green, Travis Green, both at KREM. Of course, Brenna has moved on to Coin6 in Portland, but uh, the two of them have been really helpful with my partnership with KREM and continuing to work with a fantastic news station there in Spokane. Theo Lawson, recent guest of the show, close friend, somebody I've talked to a handful of times uh, about Gonzaga. He's, of course, writer for the Spokesman Review. Uh, some more national people who have been willing to take time to come onto the show, Sean Farnham. Uh, at ESPN. Really wonderful to get a chance to speak to him. John Fanta, Fox Sports 1, Kevin Sweeney at Sports Illustrated, Ken Pomeroy, the great elite Ken Pomeroy came on the show. That was an incredible experience last season. Uh, some coaches, some former players, uh, Jeremy Jones, uh, Kyle Bankhead, former player and also a coach, uh, Matt Santangelo, Sam Dower came on the show recently as well. Uh, Brenna Maxwell and Katie Campbell, two women's basketball players. Brenna currently on the team. Uh, Katie Campbell, a former player. Lisa Fortier, that was incredible to get a chance to speak to the head women's basketball coach. Gloria Navarez, former WCC commissioner, now the commissioner at the Mountain West Conference. Uh, Kyle Ke Kerry Keating, excuse me, the uh, former Santa Clara head coach, uh, coach at US UCLA as well, to get a chance to to speak to these people, to, to have the opportunity to kind of expand my net and talk to these, these professionals who are extraordinarily good at what they do uh, has been fantastic. And I can't thank them enough. I can't thank you all enough. Uh, it's, a, it's a happy time. It's the holiday season. I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling it from all of you. So I wanted to say thank you and really kind of end the show and the week here as we get into the, the final week of the year. Uh, of course, the post-Christmas time before we get into the new year uh, and the WCC season, which is all coming up very soon. So thank you again to everybody. That's going to do it for me today. That's going to do it for this week. Happy holidays to everyone. I hope you have a very safe, very fun Christmas with your family, with your friends. We'll be back early next week previewing the Eastern Oregon game and getting into WCC play. All right. Thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the game of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right. Thank you all for listening. And of course, as always, go Zags.